Ready back there? We're talking today about a temptation, about, or about temptation, not a temptation, but temptation itself. And, and temptation goes hand in hand with sin. Um, I need to lay a little background for you before we get into our first scripture, though. Abimelech, anybody know who Abimelech is? Some of you know who Abimelech is, some of you don't. He was the first self-appointed king of Israel. He appointed himself to be the king there. He had 70 half-brothers. Um, he was born to a concubine. So his half-brothers had the same mother and the same father, and he was born of a slave woman. Does that make sense so far? So his father died, and he went to his mother's family, and he, and he said to him, would you rather be ruled by 70, or would you rather be ruled by one? So he... he went there and he made a deal with them, so to say, to get them to go to the leaders of Israel at the time and get, them, get him basically appointed as the king, right? He, he did some things to do that. And when that happened, when he, when he got that to take place, he killed 69 of his half-brothers on one stone, the Bible says. So I, I'm guessing he had them brought out there on that one stone and decapitated, probably by the sword, if they all died on one stone. So by doing that, he sinned against his father. Abimelech sinned against his father when he did that right there. Can you imagine one of your kids killing 69 other of your kids? I imagine his father would have rolled over in his grave with that, wouldn't you think? So in Judges 9, 56 and 57, it says this. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. And all the evil of, of men of Shechem, God returned on their own heads. And on them came the curse of, of Jotham, the son of, of Jeroboam. So this is where my message started right this week. Actually, earlier in the week I was fishing and I started thinking about something. But, but then I came home and I was on my way to work one day this week. I don't remember what day it was, Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday. And I was listening to my audio Bible and, and this came on there and it just leapt out at me. And that's how I know when I got a message a lot of times because it just jumps out at me, right? And, and he punished them for this sin. There's a cost for every sin that we commit, there's a cost both here and now in time where we live in, in our physical realm, in our physical world, there, there's death came from sin, right? We're going to talk about this a little bit later in Adam and Eve. Your body wasn't created to die. Your body was, to re, was made to regenerate and, and, and renew itself, and Adam and Eve would have lived forever if it weren't for sin. So sin, or death, as we know it here, when our, when our spirit and our soul separates from our body forever, that's the definition of death, right? The separation of something forever. So when our spirit and our soul leaves our body forever and our body goes back to the dirt because that's where it came from, that comes from sin. Sickness, disease comes from sin, right? I'm talking about sickness and disease as a whole, but as well as when you get into sin and you get into, to, you can cause sickness and disease to come on yourself personally also. So, so we got sickness and disease come from that. Financial things come from sin, right? If you get into to gambling or, or not being smart with your money, financial distress can come from that. So it, sin can affect relationships. Sin does affect relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend. It can end relationships, right? So it also causes, there's also con consequences for sin in eternity. The second death we're talking about, right? The separation of your spirit, your soul, or the separation of your soul from God forever, that's the second death. That's what we're all trying to be saved from. When someone asks you if, they're, if you're saved, that's what they're talking about. That's what you're being saved from is when you're standing in front of God at the great white throne judgment that you won't be judged and separated from God forever, cast in the lake of fire. So, so those, are the, those are the effects of sin. Sin costs something, no matter how big or how small. We tend to think about sin as being big things, though, right? Like I came from addiction. I laid the addiction down. I don't drink anymore. I don't get drunk anymore. Are you following me? So I'm good. 
I don't have affairs. I, I don't, I, fornication, fornication, murder, that's what we tend to think of as sin. So when we get away from those as Christians, when we lay down the big sins that, we, that everybody thinks of as sin, when we lay those things down, then we think we're pretty good shape. That's where we're at most of the time, right? But what about what we're doing with our mouth? What about the little sins? What about the little white lies? What about when we say things that are hurtful? If you say something to hurt someone mentally or spiritually, it's a sin, right? Especially if you're saying things and causing discord among the brethren. The Bible says it's an abomination unto God. So things that we consider little, small things, we just let those pass by. They're all right. We're okay with those because we put down the big things, right? Most of us here today are saved. Most of, I know most of you all here today, and I would say that you're saved and probably in pretty good shape. That's where we consider ourselves at anyway. So when, when you're saved, you're free from sin. We were born into sin because of, of the sin of Adam and Eve. Are you following me? I'm going to need some help today. I'm a participatory preacher, right? I'm going to need some few amens, some head shaking, head nodding. I'm going to try my best to get you out of here early today. I usually don't give in to the pressure of this, but it's Father's Day today. So I'm going to do my best to get you out of here early, but I'm going to need some help, okay? If you go to sleep on me, I'll just stay here and talk all day long. Doesn't matter to me. I can talk for a long time. All right, so, so when, we're, when we're saved, we're born into sin, but when we're saved, we're freed from sin. Jesus paid the price for all that sin, and it's wiped free. The Bible says he takes it and casts it as far as the east is from the west, never to be charged to you again. So the day that you give your heart to God, you're sin-free from all sin, big and small. James 1, 13 and 15 says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So when you're tempted by anything, it's not God. So whatever you're in the middle of in your life, check yourself and see if you're in the middle of God's will or if you're in the middle of your will or the enemy's will for your life. Are you following me? Because God didn't place that temptation on you. 14 says this, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Come on. Then when desires has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So it starts off with temptation or desire, right? Then it gets over into sin when it's conceived, right? And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Death is that separation of something forever, right? That's what sin brings forth, but it starts out as that. So desire, then the desire or temptation leads to sin, then it leads to death. It's kind of like a garden, right? My kids planted a garden here two or three years. We planted a garden first, our whole family did. And that went over like nobody's business. It ended up about this tall. It was great. You should have saw it. The only thing that survived, I think, was the corn because it was taller than the weeds. You all know how tall corn gets, right? But the next year, that Katie and, Katie and, uh, and Caleb, they wanted to plant a garden. And I said, I'm, I'm not doing it I'm not because you all aren't interested in working the garden. You're just interested in getting the fruit from it. And I'm not going to have this wet, big weed patch in my yard. And I'm not going to go out there and work on it because you won't work on it. So Katie, she wanted to plant sunflowers. You all know how tall sunflowers get, right? They get seven, eight feet tall. So she wanted to plant sunflowers. So I went out there and I made a strip with a tiller and I turned around and came back down with a tiller. So they had a spot that wide and 30, 40 feet long. And Caleb, he, he had a cabbage plant out there. You remember this, Caleb? He had a cabbage plant out there. So I tilled it up for him, helped him get it planted. They got their stuff in the ground. And, and I said, you all need to tend to that now. I'm going somewhere with this. You need to tend to that now because when a weed starts out, it's a little bitty thing. You know how hard it is to pluck that little weed out? You can just pinch it with your fingers and it, the, weed, the whole roots and all pull right out. And you can throw it over somewhere else and it's gone. You don't have to worry about that weed anymore, right? But if you let that weed get up this tall, then it's hard to get a hold of. You've got to pull on it and it breaks off and it's rooted down in there. Yeah. It's down in your life. So, so that when that temptation and desire comes, it turns into sin. We've got to stay on top of this. Yes. 
We've got to stay on top of these temptations, on top of these desires and things that we have because they'll turn into sin. When they conceive, they'll turn into sin. And pretty soon, Caleb came in one day and said, hey, where's my cabbage at? He couldn't find it in the weeds. Katie couldn't find her sunflowers that are supposed to be this tall. The weeds had choked them out. They'd grown up around them and choked them out. The weeds, I think I, I ended up brush hogging them down. Their, their whole little strips they had there, I ended up running over the brush hog because you couldn't even find the, the, the fruit in there anymore. You couldn't find the things that they were trying to grow in there anymore because the sin had grown up around it. That's what our, that's, this is a picture of us today. If we don't tear, take care of that garden, if we don't tend that thing daily and pluck those things out when they're little, when they're just temptations, get rid of them as a temptation before they conceive and turn into sin. Are you following me? So, so we're born into sin. We're sinners automatically. We're spiritually dead when we're born, physically born. Then we're saved. <clears throat> then we're tempted, and we have that desire to sin again, and that leads to death, right? So, so sin enters the picture through temptation. Wouldn't you have to agree with me on that? It enters the picture through temptation. Temptation, the definition of, of, of temptation is enticement or invitation to sin with the implied promise of greater good. It looks like it'd be a good thing, right? With the implied promise of greater good to be derived from following the way of disobedience. Are you following me? Yeah. <clears throat> so when, you're, when, you're, when, the, when Satan tempts you to sin, he's, he's giving you an implied promise of greater good. It's going to be so great. You're going to be wise just like God is. You're going to know good from evil. You're going to be just as good as he is and just as smart as he is. Isn't that what he told Eve? Yeah. He says these things to her, but he wants you to follow his way. Right? He wants you to follow his way of doing things. Synonyms for, the, for, for disobedience is sedu- seduction, enticement, or allurement. Now, I was fishing this week, and I brought, I brought a temptation with me this week. I was fishing this week, and I casted one lure over by this tree, and I caught a crappie, and we ended up catching 55 crappies around this tree. But I was wishing I had this little baby here with me. This is my lucky lure, I call it. Can everybody see this? It's a shad wrap shallow runner. It's made out of wood, so it's light. It looks like a baby bass. It's got this little spoon on the front, though. So it floats in the water, but it's got this little spoon on the front that kind of dips down and comes out. So when it swims through the water, when you reel it, it goes down and it shakes its tail like it's a live fish. It looks, looks like it would be something that would be for the greater good of the fish, right? But you see these big treble hooks hanging out of the back of it. So, so when you reel this thing, it goes down in the water, and then when you let, stop reeling, it pops back up the top again. Does that make sense? You'd think that fish, that crappie, would see that on the back of there before he bit at it, before he jumped on there and, and I catch him instead of him catching this. That's just like what the enemy used to us. It looks like something that'd be good for him. It looks just like a baby bass. That's what I got when I was, I, I've, I've got this before, but it came back to my memory when I was fishing this week. It looks just like a baby bass, so it looks like something that would be of greater good to the fish, but it turns out to be something that led to death because we ate that fish. <laughs> with, that being, with that being said, though, I hope, I hope that put a mental image in your head, in your head though. So, so when we were there fishing, I was wishing I had my lucky lure with me, because I knew those, once I caught that one, I knew those fish were down there, and I wish I had my lucky lure. So we went over there, and we tied up that tree, and we, and we started fishing with minnows, and, and, and we got up, and, and the devil makes sin look good, just like that. The devil makes sin, sin look just like that little baby bass, and, and instead of looking for the treble hooks, instead of looking and following God's plan, what are we doing? We're busy just jumping at everything that looks good. That comes down the, everything that comes down the road that, that we think would be good for us, we jump right on it. We don't stop and take time to pray about it. We don't stop and take time to measure it up to God's word. We just jump at it because it looks good to me. The grass always looks greener on the other side, does it not? 
And pretty soon before you know it, you got a hook in your mouth. You got weeds in your garden. What if consequences of sin were immediate? Think about that. In Romans uh, 6.22, I think it is 6.23, it says the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God are eternal life. I think I have the scripture later on here. But the wages of sin are death. So what if those wages, wages are what you've earned, right? When I go to work and work on the assembly line, I have to work there to get that check, to get what I've earned, right? So the wages of sin is what you're earning, is death. But the gift of God, so eternal life is a gift. You can't earn it anyway. You're not good enough for it. You don't deserve it. I'm not just talking down to anybody. I'm talking about myself. We're not good enough for it. We don't deserve it. So what if those wages of sin were paid immediately? It wouldn't look near as enticing then, would it? Wouldn't you think that we would start to, we would start to, to, to wonder what God thinks about things before we just jump in the middle of things? Here's an example of it. The perfect example of it is Genesis 3, 1 through 6. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. What's the serpent? Represents Satan, right? Satan, or our enemy, the Bible calls him. Any beast, or more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, he said to her, he was speaking to her, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God really say that to you? He was questioning what God already said. What, what she knew that God had said, he, he came to question her, question her on it, right? To get her to thinking, to get her to second guess herself to get her to have a second thought about what God had say, said to her. Because before this, she had just taken what God said as the truth. She took it as face value, never doubted it or questioned it until Satan came and got her to take a second thought of it. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of, of the trees of the garden, but of the, fr- of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. What did he say there? He said you shouldn't eat or touch it. He didn't say go over there and feel of it. Go over there and dabble around with it. See how close you can get to it without it affecting you. He didn't say those things. He said don't eat it, don't touch it, don't go over there near it, don't have anything to do with it. There's no gray area in sin, church. There's no gray area in sin. It's either black or white. It's either God's plan or it's someone else's plan. What are we dabbling in today? He said, don't eat it or no touch it. There's no gray area. And verse 4 says this. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will, you will not surely die. Surely God won't kill you. God's not going to kill you. Not today anyway. He was deceiving her, wasn't he? She was going to die a physical death because of this, and she was going to die a second death because of this if she couldn't repent with God. Are you following me? She was going to die here. And verse 5 says this, For God knows that in the day you eat of, of it, your fruit will be open. Or, or, <laughs> for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. I have some of these scriptures memorized, and that messes with me, because when I'm trying to read them, they come out of my mouth faster than, I, than my eyes go. Your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he was saying, here, here's the implied promise of greater good, right? Here's the temptation. So he questioned God's word first. Did God really say that to you? Are you sure about that? You're going to be like him. This is the reason he doesn't want you to. He, this is the reason he didn't want you to eat this fruit is because he knows you're going to be like him. He's trying to suppress you. God's trying to hold you down. You can't have a good time when you're going down to that church. They don't want you to drink. They don't want you doing 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 drugs. They don't want you practicing fornication. You can't have a good time hanging out with those people. Are you following me? This applies to us today also. So this was the lure right here. The same sin, you notice this is the same sin that Satan was cast out of, hell, out of heaven over? Trying to get himself up above God. Trying to rise himself above God. He's using the same 
thing right here on, on Eve. The same bait, the same lure that, that worked on him, he's using on her. So, so through, this, uh, through this allurement right here, or being a lure, the same sin that he fell to, it was an invitation. He was given an invitation, right? An invitation to, to give in to him and his way of life instead of God and God's way of life. See, God had a plan for them to live in the Garden of Eden forever, to never die. Their bodies never to wear out. They weren't going to get old. They were going to regenerate and be in the prime of their life for eternity. You see how great God's plan was? God provided everything for them. They didn't have to work. They didn't have to toil. They didn't have thorns. He provided everything. They had an abundant crop all the time. Never had to worry about a thing. Can you picture this? And Satan, through deception, tricked them out of, of, of living in God's plan to come over and live in Satan's plan. What's he got in store for him? The lake of fire, right? That wasn't a very good trade-off. What if consequences were immediately? What if the payoff for that sin was immediate? It wouldn't look so good to us anymore, right? And these consequences affect generations. Affect generations. Generational curses go from generation to generation to generation to generation. The enemy is here to steal, to kill, and destroy. He proved it right here in the Garden of Eden. And verse 6 says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. Let's stop right there for one second. So when she saw that it was, she hadn't saw this before. Did you catch that? She hadn't saw this before until he questioned it, until he put that enticement out there, until he lured her into looking at this tree again. Take another look. She took a second look at this tree. Instead of taking God's word at face value and what it really means, what God really meant by it, he said, no, no, check this out. Look at it in this way. God's trying to hold you down. He's trying to keep you from being just like him. He doesn't want you to be a God. He doesn't want you to be equal to him. He doesn't want you to be good at him. So she gets to looking at it. That's what happens when we listen to the devil. That's what happens when we, when we entertain the thought of temptation. When we get to thinking about that. Oh, that does sound pretty good. Right? She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband... Look at this word right here, with her, and he ate. I just caught this this time. I've read this, these verses. I, don't, I can't even tell you how many times I've read these verses right here. But I always assumed that Adam was like off somewhere working his nine to five, and he was doing, maybe he was walking in the garden of, of Eden with God, and he was, he was off doing whatever Adam does. And Eve was over here, and, this, and, and the serpent, or, or Satan, came over to her, and he was talking to her and whispering in her ear, telling all these things, and how good this tree was, and how much she was going to be like God. And then Adam came home. And, and she gave him the fruit that she'd already fell to. Right? But that's not what this says, is it? It says her husband with her. He was right there, guys. You're the head of your house. And he sat there and allowed that serpent to talk to his wife like that. And he sat there and he allowed him to talk his wife into sinning against God. So many times, guys, we're watching our wives struggle with temptation. And we're the head of our house. And we allow it to go on. Adam had authority over everything on the earth. He had authority. He had dominion. God said he gave him dominion. In Genesis 1.26, he said, let's create man in our image and give him dominion over the whole place. Did he not? He had authority. He could have ran him out. They could have cast him out of the garden. But he let him talk to Eve like this. He let him talk to his wife like this. We have to be careful not to fall into the same trap, guys. We're the head of our house. The Bible says, this is your wife. 
Love her like Christ loved the church, does it not? It says present her spotless and blameless when Christ returns. How can we do that if we stand there and watch her struggle with, 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 with temptations? <clears throat> Eve was free from all sin before this, right? There was no sin on the, on the planet. There was no sin on earth. So Eve was, free, Eve was free from all sin. Temptation still came. Church, just because you get saved, temptation is still going to come. It's still going to come. It's still going to be there. It's going to show up regularly. It's still going to come, but you have authority over it. Jesus Christ said in Luke 10, 19, right? He said at Luke 10, 19, he said, I give you power to smash vipers and demons basically under your feet, and you can walk all over the power of the enemy. He said scorpions, but you can walk all over the power of the enemy, and nothing by shall any means harm you. He says, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject unto you, but that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're sin-free at that time. Sin-free, but temptation is still going to come. Eve and Adam handled it in one way. Jesus was sin-free. Temptation still came to him, right? Jesus handled it in a totally different way. He handled Satan much differently. In James 4, 7, it says this. Do I have that one back there? Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil will flee from you if you'll submit to God, if you'll live, away, if you'll live a holy life according to God's standards, if you submit to him, and resist the devil. So how did Jesus resist the devil? Adam and Eve obviously didn't do a very good job of it, right? Because we're born into sin today and we die a natural death today because of them. There's disease and sickness and affliction in this world because of that first sin, right? I'm not trying to place it all on them. If it wouldn't have been them, it would have been me. Somebody down through the line would have, would have done it. But, but all those things entered the picture through sin. But Jesus handled it in a much different way in Matthew 4. 5 through 11. Jesus is is the example of James 4, 7. Come on, Matthew 4. Oh, you don't have that one back there. I got it right here. 4, 5 through 11. It says, the devil took him up into a holy city. This was after he fasted for 40 days, right? Then the devil took him up into a holy place, up into the holy city and set him in the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash, dash your foot against the stone. So he was trying to use God's word against, against Jesus. Satan was trying to use God's word against Jesus. Are you following me? He just took God's word and he put a little bit of a twist on it. He perverted it just a little bit to make, put enough truth in it to make it believable. And Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt your Lord, your God. Right? So Jesus took that word and he threw it right back at him. If Jesus hadn't have known the word of God, though, how would he have known that Satan was lying to him? Church, if you're not getting into your word today and you're not reading your word, how will you know when someone's telling you something wrong about it? How will you know when temptation's coming up against you and you don't even have a clue about it? Because you don't know what God's word says. You don't know what the standard is. Are you following me? God's word is valuable. It's vital to our Christian walk. Getting into a church and being involved in that church and getting roots down in one single church, becoming a part of that church, not just to have a job to help the church out. That's important too. But we, we grow roots in a church and we become spiritually strong in a church and our family becomes spiritually, spiritually strong in a church. We learn about the word of God in a church. Those things are all important. So it goes on to say in verse 8, Again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Didn't even belong to the devil, did it? 
So he was lying to him. He wanted to give, it, he wanted to give him something that wasn't even his to start with, but he wanted him to worship him. If he hadn't have known, if Jesus hadn't known the word of God, that would have looked pretty good, wouldn't it? If somebody took you up over the whole city and said, we're going to give you all of Kansas City, that'd be worth billions and billions of dollars. We're going to give you all this right here. If you'll just put this thing and value it more than, more than God. He could say it to you in a slick way like that, right? Then Jesus said to him, away with you for Satan. See that part right there? Away with you. Resist Satan. Submit to God. He was submitted to God. He just fasted 40 days. That's pretty submitted to God if you can fast for 40 days, right? Away with you, Satan, for it is written, thou shall, or you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. The devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. The devil left him those things. So Jesus is an example of James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. He submitted to God. He was, he was fasting, and he was praying for 40 days. I'd say he had a pretty strong relationship with God. He was spiritually strong at that time. Church, we have to build up our spirits before the storm. Before the temptation, we've got to get into God's word. We have to learn God's word. What it means, get it down inside of us. Be speaking God's word over our life. And what did Jesus do? He confessed God's word. When Satan came against him with something, he tried to, he tried to twist and, and pervert and manipulate God's word to make, it more, to make it believable to give him an invitation to follow him, just like he did with, just like he did with Eve. But instead of Jesus falling for that thing and taking a second thought and looking like it looked good to him, instead of that, he said, oh, no, Mr. Devil, that's not what God's word says. This is what God's word said. And he said, get away from me. I use no weapon, for, no weapon formed against me shall prosper a lot. That's a great one. You should remember that. It's in the book of Isaiah. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Get away from me, you negative thought. Get away from me, you temptation. Use God's word coupled with that right there. And those things have to leave. They've got to leave you alone. <clears throat> he resisted and the devil fled though. I'm going to get you out of here on time today. <laughs> if my wife doesn't talk too long. <laughs> if you haven't handled it correctly though, if you've given in the temptation, and we all do from time to time, we all don't handle the temptation right every time. Sometimes we give into it. Sometimes, you know, Satan just doesn't show up at your door with the big, big, big horns on top of his head, the big pitchfork beating it on the ground saying, open up and let me in. If he, if he came at us like that, we'd see it every time. We'd recognize it every time, and we'd run him off. But he doesn't. He comes in real subtly, real small little baby steps, and before you know it, you're somewhere way off center over here. If that's happened to you, if you've given in the temptation, if you haven't handled it correctly, there's good news. It's Father's Day. We have the ultimate Father, God. He loves us with a Father's love beyond compare. You think you know how you love your children? God's word or God's love is much greater than our love. It says his love is agape kind of love. It's a perfect love. He loves you that much. He loves you that much that he sent his son who was a perfect son here to die the most painful, horrible, horrific death that man could even dream up. He wants to reconcile you back to him today. He wants to reconcile us back to him today. The truth is our sin can never be bigger than his grace. The temptation that you face can never be bigger than his mercy. Right? Jesus already took the punishment. And the word grace means unmerited favor. That means you didn't deserve it. So don't shy away from it today just because you think I've done something too bad. I'm too, too horrible of a person. I could never get back there. I don't deserve to be back there. Reconcile with God. I'm talking about the truth is we don't deserve to be there. We don't deserve to be reconciled with God. If, if we deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. It wouldn't be mercy. 
It's only because we don't deserve it that it is His grace and His, and His mercy. And He loves us. And Jesus already took the punishment for it. You can forgive yourself today. He already took the punishment for it. God's extending His grace and His mercy to you right now through hearing this message. Nothing's by any chance. He's, exp- he's extending this to you right now. If you're suffering from guilt, from shame, or from con- condemnation, condemnation, God is reaching out to you today. Our Father in heaven is reaching out to you right now today through His Son. Romans 5.20 says, Where sin abounds, grace that much more abounds. doesn't matter what you've done. God wants to call you home today. He wants to be reconciled with you today. He wants to love on you today. He wants to heal us today. He wants to make that relationship right again today. Today he does. Use this opportunity to fall in love with him all over again. I plead with you. Maybe you've been in a relationship with him before and you've fallen away. Maybe you've been sitting right here in the house and you just have been dabbling in temptation. Maybe you've just been feeling of the fruit. See what I'm saying? There's no gray area in this. There's no gray area in it. You're either living according to God's plan or you're not. There's nothing in the middle. I had to repent when he gave me this message. I'm not just preaching down to anybody. I had to repent when he gave it to me. Please take this opportunity today to make it right with God. Get right with God. I'd urge you to go, go, go talk to your own father today, too, if, you're not, if he's not here with you today. But, but go talk to him. If you, if you still have one left, my, my dad passed away about 15 years ago. It was the toughest thing that I've went through to date in my life was to lose my dad. I get that if you don't have a father, but, but you can always make it right with God. God can heal, heal you of those things, too. I had hurt, and I had, I had unforgiveness in my heart after my dad died. I had, I had a lot of things, not toward my dad I didn't have unforgiveness, but I had a lot of things going on in my life that had to do with my dad passing away. And it wasn't until I came to God, I didn't even know I had things wrong with, in my life. Maybe you're, maybe you're there today. I didn't even realize I had things in my life that were wrong. I knew that I got mad about things when the topic come up. Are you following me? God can heal those things today, though. He can take that away from you. You don't have to live in that state. You don't have to live there. Would you take this opportunity today to make it right with him? Can I get every head bowed at this time, every eye closed, nobody looking around? If that's you today and you've fallen or you've stumbled, could I see your hand? Thank you for the hands all over the house. Thank you for the hands. Thank you for the hands all over the house. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to urge you today to make a new commitment with God. He longs to have you back by his side. He longs to have you there so that he can love on you. Amen. He just wants to be your daddy. That's all. He wants to be the father and you to be his child he created you to be, to have that relationship that he created you for. That's what he created us for. You know that? The Bible says he knew he, he, he knew us before he formed the earth. He knew, he, he knew that you were going to be here on this day, hearing this message. I don't believe anything is by chance. He knew you'd be here on this day, hearing this message today. And he's calling out to you. He's reaching to you right now, tugging at heartstrings. Would you be willing to make that commitment today? If we could, let's just all pray together. Would we all pray and you repeat after me? Let's just get the sin or the temptation behind us and start over fresh with God today. Can we do that, church? Father, Father, I'm a sinner. sinner. Please forgive me. me. I know that your son Jesus Jesus died on a cross. A a horrible death death for my sin. sin. I know that you love me that much. much. 
Please live in my heart. Lead me and guide me the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. I'd like to thank all of y'all for coming out. All of our regulars, all of our visitors, thank you all for being here. Hold on one second before you get up and run off. My wife's got some things to give to all the, all the men in the room. Um, if you would, just hold up, hold up for just a second. Um, thank you all for being here. You want to close in prayer or you want me to do it? Okay. I'm going to close in prayer and then we're going to get all the men to come up here and line up in the front. Right after we pray. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We love you, Daddy. We thank you for your infallible word, Lord. We thank you for your anointing here today, Father God. We thank you for the hands that were raised, Lord, the lives that will be changed through your word today, Father. We thank you for these things, Daddy. I can't praise you enough, Father. I thank you for still using me, Lord, after the mess up that I've been, Father.